0: Good morning church. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Praise God. I- I'm really excited. I don't know if it's just because I'm seeing you. Or I'm just smelling the food in the back, you know, but uh, uh, I'm excited to eat some food too, man. Yes. With that said, if you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thipodeau. Always excited to have guests with us. Please stay in fellowship with us. And members know this, that we love you guys. We want to continue to pray for you guys. We've been expositionally walking through 1 Samuel. I, I absolutely love, I know you might be thinking, man, it's taken a long time to read the Bible, you know, like read the text. Why do we have to read every word? The reason why is because we preach every word. You know, um, we, we preach the word of God. We want the word to give us context. So that's why it's important to read the word together, to be attentive when the word of God is reading. Thankful for all the people who are reading. Thankful for the Lauren read through the text this morning. There's just there's power, man. I'm I'm sitting, I'm standing up, and just looking and and listening and reading at the same time. And there is power in just reading the word, you know. There's power in just reading the word. So, with that said, the title for today's sermon is "The Decisions of an Unrepentant Heart." The decision of an unrepentant heart a plethora of bad decisions is an indication of a troubled spiritual life i'll say it again a plethora of bad decisions is a indication of a troubled spiritual life it also can be an indication of an unrepentant person and i'm not talking about a bad decision as to what clothes you're gonna wear you know where you're gonna eat right and your wife gets mad at you, you chose a bad place to eat, so you must not be saved, right? I'm not talking about that. I am talking about important decisions in your life. And if you're making a plethora of bad decisions, it's an indication of a troubled spiritual life, and even so, an indication of an unrepentant heart. True repentance allows us to commune with God. Right? There is this commune, uh, communication that we have with God, fellowship with God, when we repent and trust in God. So by that, God speaks to us and he leads us through his word, by his spirit, to make wise decisions, to make healthy decisions. But we find ourselves, when you continue in sin, it leads you to make bad decisions upon bad decisions upon bad decisions. And it leads you further and further and further in sin, That's what it does. We have examples of that in Scripture. Two, for for example, we have David. David, a man after God's own heart. And we find in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we are told of the beginning of David's spiritual troubles, riddled with bad decisions. Bad decision number one, God called David to be a king, a warrior, to fight. And David, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, decided he wasn't going to fight. He stayed home as he sent all his guys to fight. That's bad decision number one. Neglecting the gift that God has given him. Bad decision number two. He looked on his roof and he saw this woman bathing. He lusted and lusted and lusted and kept looking. Bad decision number three. He desired this woman to come to his house, so he invited her to his house. And the Bible says after she left his company, she actually cleansed herself, which gives us an indication that she knew something was wrong, and perhaps David even raped her. So we know bad decision number three is that David slept with a married woman. Bad decision number four, he tries to cover his sins. And the way he covered his sin is that he found out she was pregnant. He then sent word that Uriah, the the husband of this woman, to come home so he can sleep with her. And then he can cover his sin by saying, Uriah, it's not my child, it's your child. When that wouldn't work, we find another bad decision. That he gave a note to Uriah to bring to Joham so that Uriah would be killed. But not just Uriah, but the entire front line. We notice with David, bad decision upon bad decision upon bad decisions, right? But the difference between David and the next person I will talk about, which is Saul, is that David repented when Nathan came to David and said to David, Hey, you have sinned against God. David repented. He turned to God. And we have his repentant letter in Psalm 51 where he cried out to the mercy of God. And he turned to God. We see the exact opposite in Saul. Saul is riddled with making bad decisions upon bad decisions upon bad decisions. But we do not see any repentance of sin in Saul. We, we, we do not see a sense of gravitating to the mercy and grace of God in Saul. What do we see? We see a man who continues in his sin, who trusted in his religious activities, but yet would not repent and turn to God. This is a good, good story for us here, man. We live in a world where we just want a bunch of religious activities, and yet our hearts are not pure before God. We're not repenting of our sins. We're holding on to the sin. We're saying, God, I want my sin, but I still want to look religious. I still want to go to church. I still want to do these things. I still want people to look at me as righteous and a good person. But at the end of the day, is God. What does God see? And that was the problem with Saul. Saul was so focused on what other people were seeing rather than what God said about him. So we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 24 through 52. We see the decisions of an unrepentant heart here. We also see religious activities of an unrepentant heart. Religious activities of an unrepentant heart. Saul is so busy doing all the religious things, right? But what he failed to see was exactly what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. In James chapter 4, verse 8, this is what it mentions. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the heart here. This is the heart of David, and it's not the heart of Saul. So this morning, as we explore this, as we dive deeply into this passage of Scripture, ask yourself this. Ask yourself this. Are you holding on to your sins? Or have you turned away from it and turned into God? Are you using your religious activities as a way to to find a sense of identity in Christ, that you're okay with Christ, but yet your sins are before you, and yet you're not turned away from it? Are you like Saul or are you like David? Ask yourself this. this morning, I want us to see two foolish decisions that Saul made because of his unrepentant heart. What are they? Decision number one, he made a foolish vow. A foolish vow. We say this in verses 24 through 30. Decision number two, he made a foolish order. We say this in verses 31 through 52. As you notice here, his decisions were based on his selfish motives rather than glorifying God. You see that. As we've been reading through the text, notice his decisions were based on his selfish motives rather than glorifying God. So, so we want to have healthy and make healthy decisions. Ask yourself this question, will this glorify God? This, this is what we need to ask ourselves. God, I want to make a bunch of decisions. I have decisions to make in my life, right? Will this glorify you, God? Saul was not asking that question. Rather, he was asking, how can this glorify me? So point number one, he made a foolish vow. But before we dive into point number one, I want us to pray. So join me as we pray together. Father, thank you again for scriptures. Thank you for the Holy Bible that we can learn about decisions, healthy decisions, white decisions, and and bad decisions. God, I pray that we can see in our lives um, what you are doing. We can see if we are being obedient to your will. We can see, Father, if we are loving our sins above you. We can see if there is no repentance at all. And God, if there is true repentance, our desire is to be before you like David. God, we do fall short. We do sin. We are not perfect. God, what you're looking for from your people are people who draw near to you and cleanse their hands and come before you, Father. We do have a responsibility as Christians to obey you and to fight sin. But we do it because of the finishing work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, we trust that, God, we must appropriate what Christ has done in our lives. Father, I pray this morning that you teach us what we do not know. You make us what we are not, and you give us what we do not have. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name, and God's people said, amen, amen. Point number one is this. He made a foolish vow. He made a foolish vow. What's amazing is the beginning of chapter 14, it starts with, how God blessed the nation of Israel. And God blessed the nation of Israel through Jonathan's obedience. Through Jonathan's obedience. If you notice very carefully, it says, so the Lord delivered Israel that day. Why? Because of Jonathan's boldness and faith. And then the latter part of chapter 14, we are given another statement. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day man, from being happy to being extremely sad. God delivered the people through Jonathan, and now Saul is oppressing the people. Saul is oppressing the people. But why? Notice very carefully in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24. The men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid on an oath on the people, saying, "'Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I am avenged of my enemies.'" So none of the people had tasted food. Why would a king put so much pressure and and, and hurting the people like Saul did for several reasons? Number one is that Saul was thinking primarily about himself. Number two, God gave the people a king that would do that to them. Do you remember God's prophecy? That God says, you are asking for a king, but he will take and he will take and he will do all of these things to you. So now we are noticing that Saul is putting a lot of pressure on the people, heavy burdens on the people. After all, the people were hungry. They were in caves for days. And after what Jonathan did, they all got excited, right? You know how faith rallies people? And then they were excited to go fight against the Philistines and they've noticed great things are happening. And now Saul is like, Hold up, buddy, you can't eat. Don't eat. I love what Matthew Henry says about this. Matthew Henry talks about Saul's oath as impolitic. He says, For it is, for if it gain time, It lost strength for the pursuit, imperious, for to forbid them to feast would have been commendable, but to forbid them so much as to taste, though ever so hungry, was barbarous. He says, impious, to enforce the prohibition with a curse and an oath, had he no penalty less than anathema wherewith to support his military discipline. This is how Matthew Henry observed what Saul was doing. But friends, I need you to observe this very carefully. In Saul's action, we see a major, major issue. For example, we are called to focus on the process by which we make decisions, right? We're called to focus on the process by which we make decisions and the motives of our decisions, not just the product of them. Let me give you a perfect example of this. When you look at the life of Paul, Saul, he was supposed to focus on the process. You want to make healthy decisions in your lives? Focus on the process, not just the product. Focus on the motives, not just the product. Saul was only focused on the product. He was only focused on defeating the Philistines. His motive was for himself, his honor and not God's honor. Saul wasn't focused on the process because he wasn't thinking about people around him. He wasn't thinking about the heavy burdens he was putting on the people. So we see that Saul was focused more on the product rather than he he was focused on the process. Another problem we have here is that Saul was focusing more on religious activities without true repentance. Religious activities without true repentance. Let me help you understand this very, very carefully. Because we see a shift in Saul in 1 Samuel. We notice very carefully a few chapters earlier when Samuel rejected Saul. God rejected Saul. Samuel told Saul to go to Gilgal. Wait for me for seven days. And then we will sacrifice an animal for God. We'll sacrifice for God, right? To make atonement. Saul did not listen to Samuel, did not wait on Samuel, and sacrificed the animal for himself, by himself, right? He made the sacrifices by himself. Therefore, Samuel got really upset. And Samuel said to Saul, if you remember very carefully, God has rejected you as king. From that moment we're noticing that Saul's religious observance is actually really high. Saul has become more religious than anything else. Let me give you a perfect example of this. We notice in chapter 14, after Samuel said this to Saul, Saul then formed a council, a council of men to help him make decisions. But when we notice who the the high priest was, that's when we realize Saul's spiritual sickness. Who was the high priest? The grandson of Eli, right? He got the grandson of Eli to be his high priest. What do we know about the grandson of Eli? God said he will cut the house of Eli out completely. God did not approve of the grandson of Eli, yet Saul took him to be a part of his council. We notice as well, when Saul wanted to find out God's will, he asked the priest, Dress the priest up, and they are asking God to speak. God, speak. God, speak. And when God wasn't speaking like Saul wanted, Saul told the priest to stop. Again, we see his religious activities and how it's a little up, right? We notice here he's telling the man to fast in chapter 14. He's asking him to fast. And before he went and fight against the Philistines, he's going before God and asking God to speak. What am I telling you here? I am telling you, the further Saul got away from God, the more involved he got into religious activities. And this is the problem. This is the problem. This is a warning for us. You might find yourself finding a sense of joy in God by Reading your Bible, by studying, by coming to church, by doing all of these things. But deep down inside, you are struggling with sin that you do not want to repent. So you say to yourself, God, I don't want to repent, but I'm going to turn to you by doing these things. I'm going to find an identity in what I am doing for you rather than trusting in you, what you have done for me. And this is exactly what Saul is doing. Friends, friends, don't miss this. Please get this, because this is very dangerous, especially in our culture. Come in closer and get this. Saul seems to have devoted himself to religious activities at the same time that his heart grew more reckless and hard. You get this. At the same time. This is dangerous. Saul should have understood the words of God and how God view a repentant heart and not just our religious activities. Yes, friends, don't miss this. It is important to read your Bible. Read it. It is important to fast, fast. It's important to pray, pray. It is important to come to church, come to church. But what's more important and what drives all of these things is a heart before God a repented heart before God. Notice very carefully what Proverbs 28:13 says. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This is the word of God. Saul, you should know this. This is how God operates. It's not about your religious activities. It's about your heart. Isaiah 59, verse 2 is another great principle. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. This is what Saul is experiencing. And your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear you. And we notice in chapter 14, twice that Saul is turning to God, wanting God to speak. But twice, God is silent. God is not speaking. You know why God is not speaking? Because of Isaiah 59 verse 2. Your sin separated you from him. God is looking for a repentant heart. What else do we have? Do we have any New Testament texts? Yes. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible is cohesive when it, when it deals with a repentant heart before God. So friends, how is your heart before God? How is your heart before God? In all of the religious activities, as you read your Bible, as you do all of these things, are you open and honest before God? Are you? Are you? You know, I I experience this on a consistent basis where I meet up with people who come to church. They come to church and they say, Brother Kevin, I'm I'm going through a very tough time in my life. Um, You know, my children, you know, they're acting up and and i really want to start coming to church i want to start reading my bible i want to start praying or they're having marital issues and it's like i really want to start coming to church or 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 the doctor told them they have this terminal illness i really want to start coming to church and and i'm looking at them and I'm, i'm praying with them but but listen this is what i tell them this is what i tell them and i think i think there is scripture for this as well yes it is good to come to church it is good to turn to god but when you come to church, you come to church to find God. You come to church to worship God, not just find the answers for your problem. And this is exactly why I'm saying this. When they come and they find the answer to their problem, they come to church for a short time, start reading their Bible, and guess what? Husband is doing okay. Doctors say everything is fine. Children start behaving well. What happens? They leave the church. Those religious activities are no longer because you're coming for the wrong reasons. You come to exalt God, to worship God. And this is exactly the problem of Saul. Saul's doing all of this because he wants God to answer. Saul wants God's favor to be upon him, not for God's honor, but for his honor. His honor. His honor. Saul was not interested in pleasing God, but himself. And even so, we we read through the text and we see even Jonathan notice Saul's foolish vow. So Jonathan is now with the people. And as Jonathan is walking, he sees this, this beehive full of honey. It's dripping. It's so big that it's on the ground. And Jonathan takes his staff and he puts the end of it in the honey and he just tastes it. And the Bible tells us when Jonathan tasted this honey, his eyes became bright because these men, they haven't been eaten. And then one of the soldiers said to Jonathan, Jonathan, hold up, buddy. Your dad has this oath and this vow. And he says, if you taste of anything, if you eat any food, curse be upon you. But do you notice Jonathan's words? (laughs) Ha, I love this. Jonathan has become one of my favorite guys in Scripture. Seriously. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 29, this is what Jonathan said, a spiritual man, a spiritual man. Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. But focus in on what he says. My father has troubled the land. This is a provocative statement because it is the same terminology used previously in the Bible to describe an individual who sinned against Israel and prevented Israel from, from, from actually experiencing the blessings of God. And that person is Achan. Achan in Joshua chapter 7. When he sinned against Israel, Joshua said to him, You have troubled the land. You've troubled the land. And here is Jonathan thinking back at what Achan did and perhaps looking at his father and seeing that his father has sinned against Israel. His father has sinned against God by putting such burden upon the people. You see it. He says, For the people were faint. What a horrible leader! who would take and take and take from the people. And yet he would see how hungry they were, and he would not allow them to eat. And I was thinking about this, how the narrator described this, this, this honey. It was so much, so plentiful, right? This is what he's giving us a picture of, that, that it broke from the tree and fell to the ground. And I'm thinking about the book of Numbers, when the 12 spies Right, went into the promised land and they saw grapes that was so big and would drop to the ground. And I'm thinking of the people then for sure. If you notice this in the book of Numbers, what happened to the people? They they were fearful, right? Two spies came and gave a good report. Ten spies came and gave a bad report. And why? The ten spies gave a bad report because they were fearful. They did not want to go into the promised land. And here we are seeing Saul, not because he's fearful, but because he's prideful. He's extremely prideful. His motive is to feed himself, his ego, rather than honoring God. Friends, don't miss this. This is what the narrator wants you to see this is what we must see so how do we glorify God here how do we avoid Saul's plight here it's simple it's simple a repentant heart always being introspective before God your religious activities can can deceive you make you think that you are perfectly fine when you're not fine we do not want to look at ourselves in the mirror anymore. We don't want to look at our hearts anymore. We want to blame everyone around us for our lack of happiness, but we are never looking at ourselves. God, God, here I am before you. What's in me? What's causing me to do this, to be bitter, and, and to have unforgiveness and a lack of love? What, what's going on with me? We don't want to do that. Like Saul. Friends, look at me. Look with me the second point. He made a foolish order. We see this in verses 31 through 52. One of Saul's unintentional evils involved the people, and he caused them to sin against God. Do you see it in the Bible? Here are the people who want to serve the king. The king says, you cannot eat at all. And then we notice that these people pursued the Philistines at Michmash, as it mentioned. And as they're going, this is 23 miles. You haven't eaten all day, perhaps two days, three days, who knows? They are hungry. The text tells us they are fainting. And now they have to travel 23 miles to Michmash, which the text also gives us an idea that this is a very tough terrain. And when they arrived, guess what the soldiers did? They started killing animals and eating animals. So much so that they neglected the commands of God. And when you sacrifice an animal, when you kill an animal, when you slaughter an animal to eat, you must not eat or drink the blood, right? Make sure you drain the blood from the animal. But they're not doing that. They're so hungry that these people are eating the animal with the blood in it. And all of that is because of Saul's major problem. The blood of an animal was a part that made atonement in sacrifice. That was another reason why God did not want him to eat an animal with blood in it, right? They were called to hang the animal up, to drain all the blood. Then they were called to eat it because the blood itself shows a point of atonement of what Christ will do. And that's exactly why God did not want him to do it. But because of Saul's, don't miss this, because of Saul's pride, because of his bad decisions, it led these people to do something horrible. Friends, don't miss this. Come in closer, come in closer, and write this down if you can. Religious activities without a repentant heart creates a spiritual mirage where you think you are fine with God, But in reality, you are not. Do you get this? Do you get it? We see Saul's Saul's self-righteousness. It continues. He builds an altar for the Lord as you're reading through the text. This is the first time the narrator tells us that he built an altar for the Lord. Why is he building this altar? He's building this altar not because he's in love with God. He's building this altar to make himself look good. This is the reason he's focusing on his religious activities rather than than an unrepentant heart. I love what Matthew Henry says here. Matthew Henry says, Saul was turned aside from God, and yet now he began to build altars, being most zealous, as many are, for the form of godliness when he was denying the power of it. Henry is absolutely right absolutely right. What else do we see with Saul here? His self-righteousness continues and there's no conviction at all, focusing only on himself and on his honor. But then we see a major contrast between Saul and Jonathan. Don't, Don't miss this. As Saul said to the people, he said, this is what we need to do. We need to go ahead and fight against the Philistines. The people responded, do what is good for you. This is what they're saying. Just do what is good for you. These people are not following Saul like Jonathan Armbearer followed him. Do you remember what Jonathan Armbearer said to him? Well, I'll remind you in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 7. And his Armbearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. This is a conviction of a godly man here. And therefore, because of his conviction, faith rallies. Because of Saul's honoring himself, because of Saul's self-righteousness, what happens? We find that the people are bewildered, discouraged. So Saul and Jonathan instructs us here. Don't miss this, coming closer. They instruct us that true spiritual leadership requires more than a charismatic leader, more than outward religious activities. What does it require? Being a spiritual leader, it requires that God's man, God's people, God's spiritual leaders must be biblical. They must have biblical convictions like Jonathan rooted in godly faith do you get it this is exactly what we need here this is a contrast that we have so what happens Saul turns to God he turns to God he wants to fight against the Philistines he builds his altar up And now he's excited. He wants to go fight against them. And he turns to God and he asks God, God, should we go? And what happens? What happens? You read the narrative. God does not answer. Why isn't God answering Saul? Because he's not repentant. You get it. God does not answer. So what does Saul do? He comes up with this order that he made. And this order is simply to get the people, to figure out who has sinned against God, right? Who has sinned against God? Instead of Saul looking at his own heart, that's not what he's doing. He wants to blame someone else. Israel, have you sinned against God? Even his son he implicated. Maybe Jonathan has sinned against God. And if Jonathan sinned against God, I will kill him. This is exactly what Saul is saying. What a horrible leader. After noticing what Jonathan did, After noticing Jonathan's conviction, for Saul to even say something like that shows us Saul's spiritual malady. Friends, don't miss this. Don't miss this. So what do we find here? He casts lots to figure out who did it. Saul and Jonathan on one side, the nation of Israel on one side, the lots fell on Saul and Jonathan, and eventually the lots fell on Jonathan. And Jonathan says to his dad, do what you must. Do what you must. And who came to rescue Jonathan? It was the people. Do you see it? The text actually tells us that people ransomed Jonathan. Why would they ransom Jonathan? Because of his godly attributes, friends. They didn't even listen to the king. They listened to Jonathan. They saw the godly attributes in the life of Jonathan. Don't miss this, and I want you to see this. This chapter witnesses the folly of King Saul. It's both frustrating, right, for Israel. It's very frustrating for them because here is a king who's putting a lot of burdens on the people. His foolish vow alienated him from his son. Notice the problem in Saul's life. Who caused his son to criticize him. His foolish orders alienated the priests who awkwardly suggested that Saul seek divine counsel before acting on his plans. So we see the problem. Notice with me very carefully in verse 45. And the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? They're speaking to their king. This is the same king who gave them an order, an oath not to eat, and they were not eaten. And now they are defying the king for the sake of a righteous man. Far from it, as the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with, great, with God this day so the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. What lessons can we learn here about Saul? Please come in closer. As we close i want you to get this i really want you to get this what are the implications here for us one our religion must begin with a true saving relationship with god do you get this do you get this okay if you're baptists okay what religion you say you are is there a true saving relationship with god is there is there a devotion in your heart for the things of God? That when you notice Scripture and you read Scripture about your sin, that you are convicted. And I am reminded of the story in the New Testament with Martha and Mary. Martha was busy doing her religious activities, whereas Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, devoted to the things of Jesus. And then Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion, the good portion, Doesn't mean that we never act. We always act. But we act after we've been with Jesus. We we act because of our devotion to Jesus. This is the beauty here. Because later on, Jesus will call for Mary and Martha to be hospitable. But before, they must spend time with Jesus. And notice me the second point here, the second implication humility and repentance must be at the center of our fellowship with god come in closer come in close and get this i'll say it again humility and repentance must be at the center of our fellowship with god let me give you a perfect example of this we have on one hand saul and then we have david what's the difference between the two we we notice that saul and david what was going on saul sinned against god David sinned against God. We can even look at David's sin as even being worse than Saul's sin to some degree. Why would God call David a man after my own heart? It wasn't because God loved David more than Saul. It was because David was after the heart of God. And what was the heart of God? When his people are humble and when his people repent. This is why David is called a man after God's own heart. He was always seeking God's heart. He was always introspective. Whereas Saul wasn't. Let me give you another example. You have Peter, and you have Judas. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. So why is it that Peter is forgiven and not Judas? You ask yourself this question. It's because Peter repented. Do you notice this? When the rooster crowed three times, Peter cried and he repented. There was humility and there was repentance in the heart of Peter. But what about Judas? Judas did not repent. What did he do? He killed himself. Do you see the difference? We have an example of this in the Old Testament, and we also have an example of this in the New Testament. God is after humility and repentance, friends. Please pursue that. Be humble before your great God and trust in him. And watch what he will do. Join me as we pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the words that are given to us in Scripture. I thank you for the examples that we do have in Scripture. God, how we see an unrepentant heart and we also have an example of a repentant heart. And if your people are dealing with a lack of healthy decisions and making bad decisions upon bad decisions. I pray that we can start with ourselves. We can look at our hearts before you. The world tells us not to look at our hearts because it's gonna bring a sense of depression and anxiety, but you say to look introspectively so that we can repent and trust in you, Father. I pray for all of us, God, that we can do this, not just blame people around us for our problems, but we can look inwardly, O oh Lord. We can ask ourselves, God, are we okay spiritually? We can ask ourselves, are we truly saved? God, let us not be like Saul, plays around with this religious activities and yet so far from you, oh Lord. We can build altars, we can raise our Hands, we can sing loud, we can do all of these things, and yet our hearts are far from you. So let us be genuine before you, Lord. In your mighty and precious name, Amen.